Constructing teams is hard. Constructing scalable and successful engineering teams is even harder. TopTel's new ebook, Architecting Scalable Engineering Teams, helps leaders build the right team structure to overcome technical challenges, motivate talent, plan for scale, and track key metrics. In this podcast, TopTel Director of Engineering Marco Santos speaks to two leading engineering managers featured in the ebook to uncover the best ways to face today's unique challenges and work with top freelance talent. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Marco Santos, Director of Engineering at TopTal, the world's largest globally distributed network of top business design and technology talent. My guests today are Josh Hola, Chief Technology Officer and co-founder of Cube, a company dedicated to making FP&As faster, smarter, and simpler. I'm also joined by Nick Patel, Chief Technology Officer and co-founder at Cohesion, a cloud-based Internet of Things company for smart buildings. Josh and Nick, welcome. Thanks, Marco. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I want to begin with an aspect of engineering management that's becoming more important every day, scaling your teams. So at TopTal, I use the minimum operating team size model, which consists of three full-time engineers, one lead, and a part-time QA engineer. I add team members until the team is large enough to justify having two managers, and then I split it based on a logical division of work while trying to maintain as much autonomy for each team as possible. So my first question is for Josh. As Cube continues to grow, you've probably formulated your own strategy for scaling your teams. How do you plan to approach this, especially amidst the talent shortages we're pretty much seeing across the board? Hey, yeah, so I'd say our approach in general is, is kind of similar to yours in the sense of they're kind of cross-functional teams with each of the pieces you need in them. So for us, it's three to five engineers, front-end and back-end, depending on kind of the purpose of that team. QA, product manager, not an engineering role, but super helpful to help the engineers. And then on top of that, we, we're kind of having like an engineering manager as well who may manage one or two of these engineering teams for more of a people and efficiency standpoint. And all of those teams are purpose-built. So they're either working on a very specific product or a very specific feature of a very specific product. And kind of the same thing as they grow outside of that, the company's probably growing as well. So we'll split off a new team, have them focus on a, whatever feature is causing the most issues or is becoming most used by customers. We also like to have at least one or two senior engineers on each team, because if you've got a team full of kind of juniors, they're not going to be set up well for success. So it's important to have some kind of technical leadership, people leadership, et cetera, on each team as well. And then as far as in today's market of talent shortages and everything, focusing a lot on retention. So giving people a happy place to work so that they're not leaving and going elsewhere goes a long way. It just makes everybody's life easier. People like working there more and you have to spend less time finding people to plug in holes on teams. Actually, that's quite interesting. So do you find that, say, you can have the inverse or the reverse problem, which is teams that have too many senior engineers as well, as opposed to too many junior engineers? Yeah, probably. We we also like to assign a tech lead. And so, yeah, if you're at the point where you're like, hey, everybody on this team is a tech lead, that's probably a sign of, hey, maybe their skills could be better used on a different team who doesn't have a tech lead. So yeah, for sure, that, that's a good point. I would say it's all about kind of a balance of skills, ability, seniority, et cetera, for sure. So Nick, same question for you. So as cohesion continues to grow, how would you approach scaling your teams? Like Josh said, we are taking the similar approach where all of our teams, we call them product domain-based teams. They are expert in certain areas of a product. 
And similar approach, the team size is anywhere between, I'd say, four to six. It includes everything that they need to be able to own a piece of product. Now, us being an IoT company and dealing with physical systems, a full-stack team means something different for us. We have teams that is fully consisting of uh, back-end engineers for most part and very minor skill set when it comes to front-end. We also have teams that has pretty much everything, front-end, back-end, QA. Each team has a product manager as well. So it is very similar to what Josh mentioned. I think when it comes to leadership, we have taken a little bit different approach where engineering manager concept is still a little out of our reach for now. What we do have instead is we have a program director who works with all of our leads and hence all of our team members as well to not only offer them path to grow, but also offer them help in terms of delivery, agile principles, as well as uh, growth in general. As we continue to grow, I think we will also be looking at staying distributed, focusing on the talent and their skill set versus just going solely after location. Got it. So you raise an interesting point about product domains. So let's say you you choose to split a new team or create a new team. How do you decide how to slice that responsibility and assign it to the new team? So generally, and we are actually in process of doing that. Right now, the way our platform is built, pretty much all team owns multiple domain is how I would call it, uh, that are ripe for slicing. So when we do slice the team, it's generally some of the team member from existing team would go on to the new team who already has knowledge about that subject matter. And depending on where we need more skill set, be it on the product side, having an additional product manager or a developer or SDET, et cetera, uh, we would add them to the team. One of the other things that we have also uh, as a department sort of agreed upon is Majority of our folks starts uh, at a senior level and no one has started as a lead. And we are just rigorously following that for multiple reasons. Lead means something different in all different companies. So we basically give them a chance to play soft lead role, make sure that they lead our software engineers themselves want to do this, right? Everyone wants to be a lead till they are lead. So we want them to actually play that role. They understand what it means and they want it before we officially put them in that role. I see. I have to agree in terms of uh, creating opportunities for people to trial lead roles is a really great idea. Certainly one thing that I'd like to say is the best promotion is a person who's behaving like the promoted role. And it's a great opportunity to give people that chance. So I love that. So working with freelancers is a huge part of the work that we do as engineering leaders. So at TopTown, Even here, when a project has a certain urgency or there's a demand for an engineer with a specific skill set, we have the advantage of our own freelance network. And so we can hire from it, which is very convenient for us. Josh, question for you. What are the key traits you prioritize when you're looking to hire freelancers? Yeah, so I think about it kind of the same way as when hiring full-time engineers, because in terms of what you need to be successful, it's, it's probably quite similar. The two kind of main things I look for there, and it's extremely broad, but I'll I'll try to give some details, is good communication skills and good organizational skill. So from a communication standpoint, obviously, it depends kind of what the freelancer is working on. If it's like a very specific project separate of your core product, maybe different than if they're kind of just working along as part of your team with kind of the rest of the full-time hires. But 
are they proactively checking in? Am I having to constantly chase them for things? Just like any other engineer, I kind of expect to regularly be getting updates from them on the progress of what they're working on. From an organization standpoint, are they able to kind of put the pieces of the project together and explain to me what they're working on? Or does it seem like they're kind of all over the place and don't really know what's going on? They, they should kind of own that, that project that they're working on. And then also just if they're asking the right questions, right? Oftentimes when you're coming into a new company, new product, like there's a whole domain space you're probably not familiar with. For us, it's FP&A. Not many people know about financial planning and analysis. I definitely didn't when I started at Cube, right? So if I give you a project, hey, go work on this, go solve this, and you ask me zero questions, I'm going to be a little bit suspicious of like, I would expect you to kind of have a lot of questions about what's going on here to understand this problem, which kind of ties into the communication as well, right? So those are kind of signs to me that this person will do well. They got to be curious about the project and, and seem to be on top of kind of organizing the work that's going to be required of them, just like kind of any engineering hire would, would need to be. Got it. So it sounds like what I would say, communication, autonomy, curiosity, sounds like three traits that you're looking for in a freelancer. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, overview. Awesome. Building these remote and hybrid engineering teams also requires trust and alignment. Nick, question for you. How do you ensure satellite teams align with projects objectives and the overall cohesion, broader mission and values? That's actually a very good question. One of the things I would say from a team standpoint that we look for is ownership. They are product domain teams. So the best thing that would happen is them coming to leadership and saying, we should do or build something like this. And it would help not only company, but also our users. That ownership in itself is very important. Along with that, when we talk about communication, it is a two-way street. So as much as we want engineers to communicate with us, from a leadership standpoint, we see it as our job to communicate to them on where company is going why they are building what they are building, but more so how it is impacting their users. One of the things that has worked out really well, and doesn't matter where the engineers come from, they want to know how their work is actually impacting in real life, right? Whoever the users are. We have from time to time put them in front of users where seeing users smile when they use the product is the best feeling in the world. It's like, yeah, that's my code. I wrote that, right? At the same time, when we see user being frustrated, it also, you see that ownership is like, yeah, well, I read that code, wrote that code, so go figure. So doing that where we tell them why they are doing what they are doing, the impact it is making, and then have them take the ownership versus dictating what they should be doing helps significantly regardless of where they are coming from. I see. So add, uh, maybe we'll take uh, uh, Josh's autonomy and curiosity. Add, we'll call it ownership and product mindset. It sounds like mm -hmm. a couple of extra traits to add on. Very cool. So Josh, I want to switch gears and talk about how your team is configured. So Cube's engineering leaders act as technical and managerial leads. Some companies choose to separate these roles. How does this structure benefit your team and do you foresee it changing as Cube grows? I guess I'll preface this by saying, since you and I last talked, it's already changing in some degrees to have a little bit more separation there. However, I think it did work well early on for a few reasons. One, I think it kind of helps build culture in the sense of if, if you're all kind of working together on the same problems, you have a much better understanding of kind of the challenges being faced, the current state of the code base, kind of how much tech debt is there like why are some things harder to do than others? Maybe you're working on a poor foundation. That way, when you move into, when you have more of that managerial style role, they're not like, 
hey, why is everything I, I'm having my team do taking twice as long? Is it because they're not working hard? Is it because there's just a lot of technical debt here that I don't understand? So early on, when you're kind of in that fight with them, I think it helps to have that understanding. We've since kind of split that out. And like I was saying earlier, have those engineering managers, which is more of the managerial side of things. However, only one of our teams has those currently because we're having to hire for the other teams. But I think that also talks about like, we also do kind of, we introduce new thing, new concepts like that a bit slowly, right? Let's, let's put it on one team, see how it works, figure out where the gaps are, see how we can make this team more effective before we kind of roll it out broadly to Cube. We like to make sure the team's comfortable with changes and we're not just like, hey, here's five new people who are who are your bosses, like have fun. So yeah, it's already changing, but I think early on it worked well. It sounds like relying on that hybrid of engineering managers slash technical leader as the, uh, the official smell tester to make sure that there's nothing fishy going into the roadmap or into any estimates or anything like that. I like it. At least early on, for sure. I think over time, you kind of build that trust and everybody has an understanding of what's going about early on, for sure. Over time, I, I find that as you grow, it's harder and harder to find that perfect hybrid and they become a little bit unicorn. You can find them, but boy, <laughs> it does slow you down. It definitely shifts more into like architecture from a tech standpoint than in their actually coding. Can they build out an architect and have the team attack it as opposed to like, can they build it and then also code it? Yeah, definitely agree. So Nick... One idea from the ebook that struck with me is Cohesion's four-hour productivity window in which all the teams are working simultaneously. So why is this important for your company and how do you deal with issues that occur outside of the four-hour productivity time? In early days of Cohesion, it was very important for us to collaborate. Uh, in fact, even today, that collaboration is very important. Now, in engineering world, we have this concept of asynchronous communication, which everyone generally likes to follow, but that can help so much when it comes to collaboration. When you are in the room talking with each other, not only engineering, but engineering product, get customers online, talk with business teams, whatever it may be. We have gone from two teams to six teams at this point and being able to collaborate together to say, okay, I would know I will get responses quick. I know this is where meetings should be scheduled because folks will be available. And I know this is where engineering time can be very meaningful to be able to collaborate. We put that in place so that we had a good understanding going in. Even though we are distributed, we have certain collaboration that we want to sort of enforce, right? And it has helped quite significantly so far. In the beginning, there was a little bit of adjustment for all teams. But now we pretty much hold it as a sacred time. It's the meeting that comes up during that time, it is much easier to say, let's actually do it together. Be it all staff, multi-team collaboration, or anything related to product or customer. Now, that is not to say that things don't happen outside of those four hours, but that outside of that is what we also consider heads down time because it is not only about collaborating. You all still have to get work done, right? So in most cases, it is that outside of that is a heads down time where you are going in, knocking out the stuff that you have to. And with the team that we have across multiple time zones, it also makes it easy for people to have flexible schedules. They know that these are the four hours where we need to be here, but other things we can work around and teams can figure that out themselves. Overall, that has worked out really well. It's funny because as a globally distributed business in TopTal, we can't always guarantee a four-hour window overlap. 
I mean, I have uh, at least one team that has a team member in Vietnam and another team member in Brazil. And so the overlap is, I don't know, like the, maybe there's like 14 hours time difference between the two. So there are late nights for, for one and early days for another to ensure that they have overlapping meetings. I think some of the things that we do in our case is committed meetings. So if you do have your meetings, you make sure that you ins- you're there and present for the meetings and ensuring that you've got really high quality asynchronous communication very well-defined documentation, the usual stuff, uh, just to make sure that it's 100% healthy across the board. It's great because that that team that I use as an example, or the one with the, the team member in Vietnam and another team member in Brazil, is among the most highly effective of my teams. I'm very, very happy for that. And sometimes I wonder how they do it, but it speaks volumes both to their commitment and to the fact that we can actually make that work. So I'm very happy about it personally. So before we go, I want to ask you both. What do you think will be the biggest opportunity for engineering leaders in 2022? I believe it will be adapting to changing conditions. The world has changed in last year and a half. Engineers are now really uh, executing on, I want to solve challenging problems. I want to know what it means by what happens when I solve for those. And then also have them be part of the journey. This is not about uh, pushing a ticket just because it's on my sprint. It is about providing value. So changing that mindset from, hey, we want you not just as an engineer who knows how to code, but we want you to be able to deliver value to the company and to our customers will be a big opportunity for engineering leaders and setting up that culture and psychological safety for engineers to be uh, working at their best. That's going to set companies apart from how they treat their engineers. So for engineering leaders, Knowing what your engineers are asking for, offering them that both path towards better career and growing their career, but also helping them understand what they are doing, why they are doing, and how their work is impacting company as well as their users. So learning and growth, but also purpose and ensuring that team members have a purpose and understand that their greater purpose is contributing to the, to the and being impactful to the business, to the broader business. I like it. So Josh... Or what do you see as the biggest opportunity for engineering leaders? Yeah, so to start, uh, ditto on everything Nick said, I think <laughs> that was well said, and I fully agree as well. One thing I think is, as engineers, it's kind of, especially as engineering leadership, it's, it's honing in on your soft skills. Hard skills are often talked a lot about with engineering, can you code, you know, technical decisions, et cetera. But these days, with how competitive the market is, like you have to win on a lot of other fronts. So things like building culture. So we've not had any turnover in our engineering department at Cube, which is something I'm extremely proud of. That helps, obviously, because we don't have to constantly be go finding new engineers. People aren't asking, hey, why is so-and-so leaving all the time? So unique recruiting approaches. How do you win outside of just pay? There's so many companies these days that can offer so much money that engineers aren't looking for just pay. They can get the pay they want anywhere. What can you give them outside of pay? So to Nick's point, there's the what is... Do they believe in the mission of the company? Are they interested in kind of the problem that's solving, right? But there's also, do they just like their coworkers? Do they feel like it's a fun environment? Is it offering something they can't get elsewhere? That gets especially tricky in today's remote world. How do you do that when you don't see these people ever, right? So there's some level of it too, maybe frameworks around, okay, we're going to go to different cities each year and kind of meet up and have some in-person time. So to me, it's a lot of like the soft skill side of things that the remote world has ruined a little bit. We're all faces behind Zoom. But also that I think people are kind of looking for in terms of enjoying working with their coworkers, not just getting a, a paycheck every two weeks, but hating their job in the middle of it all. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's uh, hiring retention. Retention is key. I'll put in my two cents. Agree with both of you. I think both of you articulated that very well. I would add as part of this maybe development and creating opportunities for for growth for engineers. Call it through learning uh, and your point about soft skills being a great one. Hard skills as well. Learning new technologies, working on new things. Anything that we can offer as learning and growth is going to be a real big retention boost, I feel, for engineers. And that's something that I'm certainly implementing in my teams. And I think we're implementing at TopTel as well. So 100% agree with both of your perspectives there. Josh, Nick, thank you both for your time today. And thank you for listening to the Architecting Scalable Engineering Teams ebook podcast. I'm Marco Santos. You can find the ebook and more on TopTal Insights at www.toptal.com slash insights, where thought leaders explore the role top talent plays in driving innovation and the ways companies can ensure they attract and retain the best. Mm-hmm.